0: Welcome to the City Changes podcast. I'm your host, Carl. It's not news to say that living in the modern world means living fast, much faster than our ancestors ever did. Digital tools have supercharged the pace of our habits, our hobbies, our relationships, and our jobs. But there's also been a cultural shift along the way. Mark Zuckerberg's early motto, move fast and break things, isn't just shared by those in Silicon Valley, It reflects a broader culture of looking for fast solutions and thinking about the consequences later, which also comes at a price.
1: I think Facebook is a very well-known example of what happens when you keep cutting corners for the benefit of growth. This is Sasha Hasselmeier, a
0: social entrepreneur from
1: Berlin. Hate speech didn't just occur during the election that Donald Trump won, but it was the most visible manifestation that there was a problem in the way Facebook was moderated and run. Those problems were overlooked and intentionally set aside because they would have slowed down the growth of the company and leaders were saying, let's just grow a bit more and then we'll deal with the problem.
0: Taking the shortcut has costs, or to use an economics term, externalities, whether you're moving fast to break things or even moving fast to fix things.
1: Those externalities may be that people lose trust in your leadership and in your intentions. It may be that you're causing real harm in the real world, which is of course what also happened around Facebook, or that you're setting up a business model and a business infrastructure that is very difficult to change once it's fully operational.
0: Sasha calls this fascination with speed at all costs the fast lane, which might be fine when we're talking about creating an app to deliver food to our door. But what about the big challenges we face at the moment? What about rising inequality or climate change? Well, perhaps these aren't cases for finding a quick solution and worrying about the consequences later.
1: When we look for answer on a short horizon, we're going to get quick fixes that look promising because we look at them through that filter, but they end up not having that transformative impact
0: so what's the alternative sasha has been thinking about that a lot in fact he's written a book about it and the clue is in the title the slow lane why quick fixes fail and how to achieve real change sasha studied hundreds of successful social movements to understand what they had in common and what he realized was that it isn't speed that made these movements effective it was the opposite
1: the difference between the quick fix and the slow lane is the time horizon. Those organizations and organizers and movements were investing heavily in building human relationships, in meeting people where they are, even if those situations were incredibly complex. And they were willing to stay at it for 3, 5, 10, 20, 30 years.
0: Interestingly, Sasha is relatively new to the merits of the slow lane. He originally set out to write a very different book to the one he published.
1: Incidentally, I thought I was going to write a book called The Quick Fix and in the end I ended up writing a book called Why Quick Fixes Don't Work. So that tells you something about the inner journey.
0: That journey started in 2008 when he and his family were living in Barcelona. Spain, like many other countries, was in the midst of a crisis at the time.
1: The global financial crisis in 2007, 2008.
0: And it was desperately trying to put together a response, a quick one.
1: And so the government, in a way, did what really international institutions wanted them to do, to lock themselves up in a closed room with finance experts and economists and dream up a plan to fix the banking system. The plan that came out was an austerity plan cutting government spending, bailing out banks. And what happened there is that very quickly, millions and millions of Spanish families were thrown into severe poverty. For
0: Sasha, the experience showed the human cost of top-down, short-term decision-making. But it also showed how a quick fix can often be a lost opportunity.
1: What the leaders missed was a conversation about, is it worth bailing out the financial system That got us here in the first place for the price of throwing 15 million families or people into poverty. And I think that's how I began to change my perspective and really make sense of what I'd known all along in a new way.
0: Enter the slow lane. Sasha's book looks at examples of slow lane movements from all over the world. From the decades-long fight to legalize abortion in the Republic of Ireland, to the story of Albina Ruiz, a young engineer who built a movement to empower hundreds of thousands of waste pickers in Peru. And he shows how, despite different goals, these movements all share a set of core principles.
1: They were about not jumping into action, but understanding the system, listening to those people most affected by it, and then sharing the power to solve problems with those affected by them. And I think that very much is a slow lane approach.
0: Which isn't to say that the path was easy. All of these movements faced challenges and suffered failures along the way. But Sasha's point is clear. If we're going to achieve transformative change, intentional committed action is the only and the fastest way to get there.
1: Anyone who goes out to find a quick answer to a problem Um, finds those principles somewhat counterintuitive, but it's a little bit like understanding gravity. You know, there's no way you can throw an apple into the sky and it will not come down. Unless you embrace that slowness and manage it, you're just not going to achieve the change we're after.
0: Sasha also has his own slow lane story, even if he didn't think about it that way at the time. And it starts with something very simple, pedestrian crossings. Chicago, a city of almost two and a half million people, has plenty of them.
1: Chicago has something like 3,000 traffic signals. The thing is, until
0: very recently, most of them were inaccessible for people with a visual impairment.
1: So they have practically no audio signals. It's incredibly dangerous and risky for a blind person to move around Chicago.
0: And that's despite the technology behind audible crossings being available for almost 60 years. In Marburg, Germany, for example, a much smaller, less wealthy city, every single crossing has an audio signal. And that's been the case since the 70s. Sasha's question was why?
1: Marburg had taken all the right decisions in a way, whereas in Chicago, they kind of stayed in the Stone Age.
0: The answer, he discovered, came back to procurement, the way the city purchases goods and services.
1: I, I trained as an architect, and the only kind of public procurement that I knew was architecture design competitions. The Sydney Opera House is a fine example of a piece of beautiful architecture that came about by an open architecture competition in which a young architect totally unknown in the world won on the merit of the design. And so to me, the thought was always that government procurement works like architecture design competitions.
0: Of course, in most cases, government procurement doesn't work this way. Cities and towns around the world spend a combined $6 trillion a year on procuring goods and services. Everything from software to meals to probation services. And spending like this comes with very tight rules, restrictions and requirements. What Sasha realised was that the process leaves very little room for innovation. A city that puts out a tender for traffic lights, for example, will get exactly that. It won't get new ideas.
1: It's not that there's some person in the government who wants procurement to generate these unpredictable outcomes. It's not that anyone in Chicago didn't want to have the right traffic signals. You know, it was just following the procedures for the procedure's sake, but no one really asked anymore, what is the end game here? Are we serving the citizens? Are we serving the government bureaucracy? Are we serving the mayor? And so the idea we had was very simple. It's to say, couldn't we use something that cities already do with architecture and design? Competitions where different ideas and approaches could be presented to get more choice when we're taking decisions. And to lower the risk that some traffic engineer keeps buying the old traffic lights.
0: Sasha called his approach problem based procurement.
1: Letting cities replace the traditional specifications in procurement where they say this is exactly what the traffic light has to look like with something that architects and designers know as a brief, which is to say we want to make a traffic crossing safer. What is your proposal?
0: In 2009, Sasha and a select number of partners put together 12,000 euros to trial their approach in nine cities around the world. Each city published a clear description of a problem they wanted to solve, rather than a description of what they wanted to buy. But they also promised to support the winners to turn their proposal into a real-life pilot project.
1: And and that turned out to be really transformative and successful.
0: They called the model City Mart, and as they brought it to new cities, they continued to make new discoveries. Sasha says that, on average, cities were learning about 30 new solutions in each procurement, 98% of winners were actually small businesses and 50% of them were minority or women owned. By 2021, CityMart had accomplished what they set out to do. According to Sasha, their methods are now being used in 135 cities across all continents.
1: 135 global cities, but also it sparked a movement where many other organizations and professionals took on that approach.
0: As far as slow movements go, This one is on the faster end, a span of about 10 years. But it's a great example of Sasha's slow lane principles in action.
1: We didn't follow the narrative of saying we need more technology in procurement, we need more faster decisions and we need to remove red tape. We were saying, no, embrace the red tape. Embrace these rules because they actually are good. But understand that also you're not a scientist when you're managing procurement, you're not objective. You have a creative force through all these little decisions you take. And I think that very much is a slow lane approach to reframe a system, understand that maybe a problem that seems to be one problem can be seen from a different angle and then become something quite solvable.
0: It's not lost on Sasha that for many people, the message to go slow can be a little counterintuitive, especially right now. Tackling the climate crisis, for example, is not exactly something we can afford to dawdle on. But taking the slow lane approach doesn't mean acting without urgency. Sasha's point is that we can't afford to sacrifice inclusion, participation and sustainability for speed's sake alone, because that's arguably what got us into this
1: mess in the first place. By imposing solutions on people, you're building up a counterforce by default. You know, they're going to be frustrated, they're going to be angry, and they will push back even harder. And that's, I think, what we see maybe in the, in the United States. They're building and unbuilding climate policy and health policy and other things because it's become a purely political fight over just winning that majority and forcing something over the line. Yes, it may seem like a slower path to get your bike path if you are actually engaging vulnerable communities, but chances are that you're going to come up, first of all, with a much better idea than a bike path. And I think history has proven that. And secondly, you're going to bring everyone along to the future rather than creating these excuses for majority rule at any cost.
0: That's all for this episode of the City Changes Podcast. A big thank you to Sasha Hasselmeyer. This podcast is an urban future production. It's written and produced by Mariano Trevino. I've been Carl Dickinson. Thanks for listening.